encouraging her too as well. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, you can stand with me, Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses. Colossians 3, first four verses. Aren't you glad to be saved today? Amen. The Apostle Paul is writing, God is speaking, the Holy Spirit is breathing it out. And the Bible says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Here's why. Verse 3. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Speak to our hearts, draw us near to you, and challenge us to live more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. What a privilege to be a child of God. And if we are Christians today, we need to live in such a way that moves us closer to heaven. Moves us closer to heaven. How many of you know today this world is not my home? And i got to tell you, the longer I live, the, the more glad I'm I, that it's not. I'm glad it's a better place. I'm glad that I'm just a pilgrim and I'm passing through. But one day, one day, I'm going to appear with him in glory because of Christ. Paul wrote the church at Philippi, chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know, if you're a Christian, you've got dual citizenship? In John 14, I don't have the verse in my notes this morning. But Jesus, if I go away, I'll do what? I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So we know, and we talked this morning in Peter, how important it is what we know from the Word of God. Not my opinion, but what does the Bible say? We know that our citizenship is in heaven. And so we need to seek heaven with everything we have and everything we are. And I want to say today, and I realize uh, there's a, a move on even among churches in America today to water down the gospel. We're not going to do that here. So if we are children of God, we are born again, we should be so different from this world There is no doubt where we're going. I'm on the way to heaven. How about you? I'm excited to be a child of God. Now, we're continuing what we began last week, and our title this morning is Seeking and Setting. But our series is about uh, becoming and developing a heavenly mindset. Developing a heavenly mindset. A little bit of review is in order this morning. I would like to review a little bit. 
Paul has spent chapter 2 addressing the issue of false teachers, and he gave a lot of reasons, uh, wrong reasons, for self-denial. There certainly would be a time and place for that. But it's interesting, Paul moves very quickly to chapter 3, and it reminds us, if we are in Christ, we have a brand new position. Amen. A brand new position. And so Paul begins here in chapter 3, giving us the practical issues of what he's already taught in the early part of this letter to the churches at Colossae. And so what he does, he, he says, you know what, as a Christian, Christian behavior, it means you're putting on your new self, and you do that by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you consider your earthly nature as dead. We are now new creatures in Christ. Praise His holy name. So we change our moral behavior. We change our ethical behavior by letting Christ live in us. Now, by the way, try to do that on your own and you'll fail every time. You will fail every time. You can't try hard enough. You can't try long enough. We have to rely on the fact that Christ now lives in us. And now that he lives in us, if we will allow him, he can shape us into what we should be for the glory of God. Last week, we looked at what we needed to know. Number one, verse one, if you've been risen with Christ, folks, understand in the Greek, it's no doubt about it. Since you have been risen with Christ. Amen. There was a time in our lives we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but now that we're born again, we have been raised in Christ to walk in the newness of life. So our faith has a negative as well as a positive dimension to it. When we come to Christ by faith, we die out to sin. We also die out to the basic principles of this world. Colossians 2.20 Paul says, therefore, if you died with Christ, and again, it's not a question, you did. If you died with Christ from the basic principle of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? If you're born again, you are now a new creature in Christ. You're alive to God and we are dead to our sins. So Paul says, yes, we have died in Christ. But thank God we've died to those basic principles. But now, Paul said, we have been raised with Christ. Folks, I want you to realize I have no reason to hang my head this morning. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm a child of the King. I've been raised with Christ. Amen. Amen. My life is now hid in Him. So no matter who you are, Once you place your faith in Christ, in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, though we were once dead in our sins, thank God we have now been raised from death the same way Christ was raised after three days in the grave. Thank God for resurrected living. So what do we need to do? We are raised. We need to seek. Look again, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are 
above. How many know if you're going to seek something, you set your heart on it? You set your heart on it. If you seek something, and the, and, the, and the meaning of the word is simply seeking something with a strong desire to possess it. It is your goal in life. And if you and I are going to cultivate values that are from above while living below, it's going to take all you've got. We have to be focused on Christ. We have to seek those things which are above. And that means we've got to set our minds to it. We've got to be determined. Now, I mentioned this last week, folks. Do you realize we are being bombarded everywhere we look with messages that are saying, live this way. They're promoting below behavior. But i got to tell you, my citizenship is not here. It's there. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so if I want to be directed from above, I have to make every effort to connect with things from above, every effort to counteract the message that we're everywhere in our culture, and I've got to focus on seeking those things which are above. So in order to do that, and hear me well, if we're going to seek those things which are above, if we're setting our mind on them, God's Word's got to be a vital part of it. We're to read it. We're to meditate on it. It's to be the guideline of our lives. It's to give us direction, give us hope. We're going to focus on the Word of God. It's important to listen to uplifting music. Read things that turn our heart from this world toward God. And by the way, it's important to be in God's house. To fellowship one with another. Now, now by the way, I know that in church, porcupines come. Right? I forget who it was. I read a book many years ago. It said we're like porcupines. We need each other, but we get too close and we needle each other. Got to be careful about that, don't we? But folks, understand, it's all important part of our growth in seeking those things which are above. Now, we're going to highlight them again. We just, we're not going to go into detail, but several things we need to do to set our minds. Romans 12, verse 2, we can't be conformed to this world. Can't be conformed to this world. How many know the world's trying to do that? I, uh, I don't know why I did this. I knew better. But I saw on the, on the end of this morning... Uh, the caption was, Surprising Things the Bible Forbids. And I don't, there was, I don't know, 10 or 15 of them. But the problem was, I didn't find any of them surprising. They said the Bible forbids, forbids same-sex marriage. That didn't surprise me. Uh, one of the things they said, that the Bible forbids uh, any sexual intimacy outside the marriage. I wouldn't surprise. The list goes on. But how many know we can't get our values from this world? We can't be conformed to this world. They're trying to conform. Don't be conformed. Number two is, Jesus said in Matthew 6, be careful with your treasure. Be careful where you put it. Because where your treasure is, your heart is what? It's there also. 
So don't be conformed. Be careful with your treasure. And the third thing that Paul told to Timothy, he said, trust in the living God. So today what I want to do is go back to Colossians chapter 3 for a moment. I'm not going to read them again. Uh, you can turn there yourself, read them for yourself. But beginning in verse 18 through 22, uh, Paul lists, if you will, some standards for Christian behavior. Now, by the way, if you look around Christendom today in America, a lot of those standards have been thrown at the door. But you know what? They're still in here. There were standards for Christ-like behavior. And we're not going to read them today. We read them last week. But everything that Paul lists in those verses, verse 18 through 22 of Colossians chapter 3, everything that Paul lists make absolutely no sense to the culture we live in. May I say they're surprised? About fidelity in marriage? The surprise that God doesn't like same-sex marriage? Surprise, but I'm not. And so everything that Paul lists goes counterculture to our world. In fact, everything about being individualist, everything about self-centered priorities, all those things that have a high value today, they run counter to the type of restraint and sacrifice the Bible says we are to have in our lives as we walk with God in this wicked world. Now, again, I'm not going to read it, but, you know, Paul had the nerve. He had the nerve to tell us that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. He had the nerve to tell husbands that we're to love our wives. Paul had the nerve to write down the fact that children were to obey their parents. And how many know, for the most part, these are not the principles our world operates by anymore. <laughs> wow, I don't, I don't want to get political here, but I can't help it. I got a friend of mine was from Kentucky. I can't help it. Noel, okay? Can't help it. But I read an article this week, uh, people are confused what woke is, W-O-K-E. And I don't remember who said it, but here's what they said. Woke is anything that goes against tradition we've held dear for hundreds of years. Amen. Understand something, folks. God's word is never outdated. It is always relevant. And the only way a person can live according to these principles that Paul gives us, the Bible gives us in Colossians chapter 3, and throughout the New Testament, by the way. The only way we can live according to these principles is if we take direction from somewhere other than our culture. Let God be true and every man be a liar. We must take our focus off of this world. And our focus has to be on Christ. Setting our mind, seeking those things which are above. And the Bible has a, a wonderful idea. And some are surprised by it. But the Bible says we're to love God with all of our heart, 
with all of our soul, and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we do that in the here and now. We do it where we live, where we are. But the only way we can do it is if Christ lives in us. We do it with a life that God has given to us. And our strategy for this lifelong calling will require us that we are to set our minds on things above. So if we're going to develop a heavenly mindset, first of all, we've got to seek. Again, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, since you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. But the second thing we're supposed to do is to set. Look at verse 2, Colossians 3. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. How many knows that runs counterculture? That's not the way our world lives. Now, in verse 1, seeking those things which are above, it meant to strive to do all we can to put heaven's priorities into practice every day in our lives. Every day. So now, the Bible said we're to set our affection on things above. And the idea here, the idea here is we're to concentrate on the eternal rather than the temporal. We're to concentrate on the eternal rather than the temporal. We are to allow our thoughts to dwell in the realm of Christ. We're to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many know that thoughts influence our actions? Amen? Thoughts influence our actions. So, if we as believers place our thoughts above and not on earth, our actions will then please God. In fact, that's the only way our actions will please God. And so the Bible is very clear. Our affections must not be on things on the earth. Not on legalistic rituals. Not on false methods to become holy. And not even the basic principles of this world that Paul wrote about in chapter 2. Don't set your affection on those things. So what things, Paul, you mentioned it. What things should I set my affections on? Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 8. Finally, brethren. How many know when a preacher says that, don't count on it? Now, by the way, to be honest, in New Testament language, that was often used to introduce a new subject, okay? But anyway, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think 
on these things. How many of you know you are what you think? You act how you think. And when we set our affections, we're talking about our, our hearts and our minds. When we set our affections on things above, our lives on this earth are going to be pleasing to God and we will be, help, we will be automatically helping to accomplish God's will on this earth when our minds are set on things above. So how do we develop a heavenly mindset? I remember years ago, I think it was our first pastor, he made a statement one time, and I don't know where he got it at. But he said this. He said, he had heard people say, it is possible to be so heavenly minded and that you're no earthly good. Now, by the way, I don't agree with that. Okay? Because if you look at church history, you'll find out that those who were the most heavenly minded did the most good. They did the most good. Our minds must be on heaven. And by the way, how many know Satan does not want us to focus on heaven? Anything but. Anything but heaven. And that's one reason why Satan is always attacking us He's always attacking our mind. He attacks our mind with doubts. He attacks our mind with fears. He attacks our mind with worldly thoughts. Because Satan wants to keep us from focusing on, on what really matters in our life. He wants us to focus on this world and not on God and his kingdom. And that's what Paul is primarily referring to when he said to set your affection on things above. He's referring to focusing on God and on his kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, you'll recognize the verse when you get there. Verse 9 and 10. Jesus said, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Child of God, never forget God is not your buddy. He's not the man upstairs. He's our God and he's our Father. Lord, to hallow his name. Hallowed be thy name. And I realize we call this the Lord's Prayer. It's really an example of prayer. I know that. But in this prayer, we are taught to be consumed with God's name being hallowed. Never forget that. We are taught to be consumed that His kingdom and His will be done here on earth the same way it is in heaven. And when I think about that, I'm reminded that as a child of God, our mind, my mind, your mind as a Christian, must be consumed with heavenly things. That his will be done on earth as in heaven. 
Now, by the way, when Jason went to college, he majored in movies. I'm kidding about the major, but he had to take a course on movies. We had to watch movies. And one of his favorite was Cool Hand Luke. Get your mind right. Well, I'm not preaching Cool Hand Luke this morning. But how many know there's a blessing in getting your mind right? In fact, those who practice right thinking are blessed tremendously. Isaiah 26, verse 3. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusts in you. How many want perfect peace today? We all do. How do you do that? Your mind is focused on God. We trust in Him. And so, it's so important principle here today. The person whose thoughts are consumed with God, whose thoughts are consumed with God and His kingdom, is going to have perfect peace rather than anxiety or worry. I'd rather have perfect peace, wouldn't you? Amen. I'd rather have that perfect peace. Whenever we, and I'm using the word we, because sometimes I do, whenever we find ourselves anxious, whenever we find ourselves worried, we can be sure that we have lost a God-centered mindset. And I cannot tell you, I'm ashamed of how many times I've had my mind overwhelmed by my circumstance rather than let God overwhelming my mind and give me that perfect peace, that passive understanding. So what are some of the benefits? What are some of the benefits of God-centered thinking? Now we read Philippians 4 verse 8. A moment ago, we're not going to read it again. But there, the Bible gives us six different things to think on. Things that are true, things that are honest, things that are just, things that are lovely, and things that are of good report. How many know the Bible gives the best advice you've ever had? And the Bible says, think on these things. But that's verses, verse 8. Verse 9, the next verse says this. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And those are promise. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now, I read a verse like that, and I know, wait a minute, this is a great Apostle Paul. What does he know about anxiety? What does he know about worry? What does he know about persecution, trials, and troubles? How many know I'm being sarcastic? He lived that kind of life. But you know what he said? Do what I tell you. Look how I live my life. Look what you've heard. Listen to what you've heard from me and received from me. And you've seen in me. Paul says, do that. And he said, if you'll do that, the God of peace will be with you. How did Paul know that? He did it. 
He fleshed it out. And the God of peace was with him. And Paul says, the same God of peace that is now with me can also be with you. So whenever we think on the right things, and I, and I realize we can't stop there, we've got to put them into practice. So when we think on right things, and we practice those virtues that Paul listed in verse 8, Paul said, you will then experience the peace of God. And folks, I want you to realize God is the source of all peace. And there will not be genuine peace until the Prince of Peace comes. Until the Prince of Peace comes. And I look around today in churches, or among Christianity, and I see so many who are claiming to be Christians, and I don't, that's not my issue. I don't, that, I'm not God. But so many Christians miss out on the manifestation of the presence of God in their lives. And they're missing out because they have ungodly thinking. Folks, understand. We talk about receiving Jesus in our heart, and I know what it means, but we got to use our thinker too. The way we think must be changed by the power of Christ. Our mindset must be changed. And they, they miss out on the very presence of God, the manifestation of that, because of their godly unthinking. And the sad thing is, if they continue to think that way, it will lead to ungodly action. The Bible is pretty clear about this, folks. The Bible says that the way a person thinks is an indicator of his salvation and his truthfulness. Romans 8, verse 5 and 6. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit Mind things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is a life, is life and peace. Jesus gave the parable of the sower. We're not going to read that today. It just came to my mind a moment ago, a second ago, but you know the story. Some of the seeds fell among weeds. If you're a Christian today, you have a thorny past. And so do I. I don't care who you are in Christ. You brought with you some baggage. We came to know Christ and we still had this worldly nature. And, and Paul says when you focus, that's what it means, those who are after the flesh. When your focus is on yourself, on your nature, on your flesh, Paul says you obey the cry of the flesh. You satisfy the flesh. 
But then he gives a contrast. He says, when you're reaching after the Spirit, you take your mind off yourself, and your mind is now focused on the things of God. You seek the things of the Spirit. And then he gives a warning there in verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I can only speak for myself, but I want life and peace. And Paul says, here's how you do it. Now, by the way, I hate to be a naysayer here, but allow me for a moment. As long as we live in this world, we will constantly struggle with sin and temptations. It will change at the resurrection. And people who decide to follow their sinful nature, their concern, their mind, their focus is on things of the flesh. But thank God, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to be enslaved by our nature. Oh, it's there. And every once in a while it raises its ugly head. But we are more than victors than him, through him who died for us. So we don't need to live in sin. Because now we can live in accordance to the Spirit that lives in us. Now we can set our minds on the desires of the Spirit, what He wants for us. And we have to follow Christ every day. We have to follow Him in every area of our life, in our choices, as well as in our moral decisions. So the question is this, am I going to follow my sinful nature? Or am I going to allow the Spirit of God to control my life? And am I going to allow to follow myself to follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit? Now, by the way, the secular person, when I was lost, when you were lost, we only thought about the desires of our carnal nature. We didn't give three cents about heaven, spiritual things. We were concerned about our nature. Well, the problem for many Christians is that even though they have been saved, they are still caught in a carnal lifestyle. They're having trouble with that new mindset, laying aside those former things. Now remember, I realize we can't do it on our own because Christ lives in us. But even though Christ lives in us, how many know we have to allow him to change our lives? Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, Chapter 3, verse 1 said this. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as what? As carnal, that means fleshly. Even as unto babes in Christ. What a heartbreak. Paul's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. They have their spirit living in them. 
And Paul is broken hearted because when he wrote to the Christians at Corinth, Paul said, I had to write this letter as though you still belong to the world. My friend, I belong to God. Things have changed. May I say, there's a new commander in charge. He's God. They were certainly indwelled by the Spirit. Paul calls them brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Paul says the problem is you're still acting like the world around you. And that shouldn't be. So the carnal person, even the Christian who's living a carnal lifestyle, they only want things of the Spirit, now hear me, that satisfy themselves. Amen. The carnal Christian, how do you define it? Number one, they're more concerned about themselves than anything else. If that's you, your attitude, you're a carnal Christian. The carnal Christians obsessed with getting more, never satisfied with what they have. The carnal Christian, they think they're more than what they really are. I heard Chuck Smendall years ago said we had a great service. Man, we I preached and God was moving it. He said it was just great. And he said, man, you know, I stood at the back door and he said, man, everybody told me what a great job I did. And man, I went home and he said I was glowing, you know, and I was excited. And I get home and the, he said the first thing Cynthia said, Chuck, go change that girl's diaper, will you? To let me realize I'm not who I think I am sometimes. The carnal Christian thinks they're more than really are. The carnal Christian is not willing to forgive. The carnal Christian seeks pleasure with no boundaries. And the carnal Christian prays selfishly. Now I must confess, I've, with God's help, I have learned to change my prayers. Because the carnal Christian, when they pray, you know how they pray? Lord, give me this. Lord, get me that. Lord, take that away. Give me, give me, give me. Give me, give me, give me. That's the prayer of a carnal Christian. You see, a carnal Christian... Certainly can believe in God. And they certainly pray for things. But a a carnal Christian, their prayer to God is only a means to get what they want. Give me what I desire. James chapter 4 verse 3, you know the verse. You ask, you ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So where are we at in our walk with God? Have we developed, are we developing a heavenly mindset? And here's the bottom line. <clears throat> 
Those who have set their affection on things above will desire what the Spirit of God desires. And ultimately, those who set their affection on above wants God's will to be done in their lives. Let's stand together. I have asked God through the years, Lord, don't allow me to be a give me, give me, give me Christian. Lord, help me to earnestly seek your will for my life. Help me, Father, to only want what you want for my life. Because I know, Lord, what you want is always the best. Now, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. Maybe you're listening online this morning. I don't know. But if you've never come to know Christ, you can know him today. You say, preacher, I, I don't know if I can live this Christian life. You can't, but he can and he will. You said we need to come to Christ. Ask him to forgive your sins. Accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. Repent. Christian. If you're living a carnal lifestyle, stop it. Mind the things of the Spirit. Set your affections. Seek those things which are above. Father, right now, speak to hearts. And draw people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. No better way to come to Christ this morning.